When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That is Emily Van Busker. How are you doing today, Emily? Hanging in there, Dan. I can't believe we made it through the season. I know. We are through (laughs) the regular season and I think we should address why we're recording so late in the week because it's really just stupid busy how we've been. Mm-hmm. It has like, been a lot. <laughs> like we usually record this show on Monday nights and then Monday, Brian Kelly took the LSU job, correct? Yeah. I think it was, yeah. Or that was Monday or was that? No, it, it was definitely Monday. It was definitely <laughs> Monday. Monday. Okay. It was yesterday. It was the, yeah. Because on Sunday, Lincoln Riley had taken the USC job mm-hmm. and I mean, for those who don't know, now you do. I write for a Notre Dame website. I'm <laughs> absolutely mm-hmm. buried by this. Uh, mm-hmm. The last time Notre Dame was in a coaching search, I was in middle school. Like that's. Yeah, it's been a long. I think this took everyone by surprise. Yeah. Not just Notre Dame fans, like everybody across the country has now band together against Brian Kelly and is weirdly rooting for Notre Dame. Like that's never been it. All it took was for Brian Kelly to leave to make Notre Dame like a hero. (laughs) So like Brian Kelly is not exactly the most likable coach there is out there. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those things where over the years, especially the last five years at Notre Dame, he's really softened his images. He's moved into that kind of like CEO coach role and he's been winning a lot and he's been a little bit, he jokes around a little bit more with the media and with people. <laughs> His that, jokes are not always. About, they're not always good, but like. He's, they're not always like, understandable. He's, but yeah, but when he first got to Notre Dame, he was always yelling and he was always trying to sell and he was just intense and like, and the wins weren't always there. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. he softened his image at Notre Dame a lot, but a lot of people still remember the first half of his time at Notre Dame when eight and four was more standard than 11 and one. And there was the images of him with his face on fire on the sideline screaming. And there was mm-hmm. a couple really, really awful off the field incidents in like his first two years there that largely are forgotten by the Notre Dame community. Now, though, I don't think they should, uh, you know, other people will make jokes out of them, but I'm talking about, uh, Declan Sullivan, the student who died filming practice. And then, uh, I'm fortunately I'm forgetting her name, which is always the way, but the Prince Shimbo case where he uh, was accused of sexually assaulting a student at St. Mary's College. And uh, she ended up killing herself after receiving threats about going after the Notre Dame community, basically. Uh-huh. And, you know, those are things that happened early on and have widely been forgotten because he was a winner. And, you know, both of those are terrible things. So I've mm-hmm. always kind of had mixed feelings about him. Him going to LSU, I think, is interesting because they're hiring him because they 
you know, we're trying to hire someone not who is both a winner, but also not associated with Les Miles or Ed Orgeron because of their yeah. own Title IX issues. Well, mission accomplished <laughs> in that regard, but... And he, he makes no sense to LSU, but yeah. hey, they're going to pay him a ton of money and he will have a slightly easier chance to win with better facilities and things. Well, I have some more thoughts on this, especially the way that it rolled out. Um, but do we want to do the, the just quickly touch on the games that happened in this last yeah. week first, and then we'll circle back? Yeah, we should before we get completely yeah, off track on the AAC show with the Notre Dame <laughs> version. Uh, yeah. But it is very interesting. It's all I've been thinking about for like. Yeah, no, I, I, I have now, some so. thoughts I want to share that maybe you hadn't heard yet because I've been kind of staying silent off social about it, but and I've been gathering myself. And I will say that we'll this move, though, the Notre, Brian and Kelly leaving Notre Dame, it affects Cincinnati. It does. Uh, yeah. Or at least it should scare Cincinnati fans. Anyways, yeah. we'll start with this week's set of games. Uh, All right. I'm going to start with the Warren I-4. That's the game that happened first. Okay. <laughs> first in my heart, first on the field. USF <laughs> 13, UCF 17. This game was much closer than I expected to be a little yeah. bit of a slugfest. It would have, I, what I think happened in part was when USF got rid of Glenn Spencer, they made a few strategic changes uh, to how they covered and pressured on defense, which just weren't on tape. And I think that gave UCF a lot of troubles throughout. Yeah. The good, I, but good for Jeff Scott for like, you know, this is what I was saying is he needed to do some different things. Mm-hmm. They pulled the trigger. Did. They looked a lot better. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, UCF, I've got some questions about the quarterback situation. <laughs> I bet you forward, do. <laughs> uh, because Mikey Keene has this habit of, and it's been all year and I was hoping to start seeing it go away. He throws the ball away a dozen times a game instead of mm-hmm. going forward into the pocket and finding someone instead of scrambling and creating yardage, he'll drift 12 yards backwards and throw it away every time. And that's, it's not the worst play, but he does it. He'll do it three times in a row and go three and out doing it. And you're just mm-hmm. like, please try something. You know? And that's frustrating. Uh, <laughs> the other thing that, we'll be talking about how this game ended. Did you see the ending happen in real time? <laughs> no, I did not. I just was, I was kind of glad that it was this close for fans of the rivalry. I'm, I'm sure most UCF like fans like, up. right. I'm sure it was stressful or whatever, but you love to see a rivalry ignited in this way in like a close oh, game like that. So yeah. when I saw the score, I was like, this is awesome. But no, I didn't so see quite how the it went. ending, uh, USF got the ball about 90 yards to go on a two minute mm-hmm. drill and UCF other than basically two plays shut down the two minute drill, but the two plays they gave up were both like 35 yard plays. So, and my math is off there. I know it's, but whatever they were inside, they were at about the five yard line mm-hmm. with 10 ish seconds left when they snapped the ball. Uh, Timmy McLean took a sack, but as he fell down, he threw the ball in the air mm, and mm. it was intercepted by a UCF Classic. player and UCF kind of ran the ball around because they thought they had an interception. You know, the referees did not stop the play quickly. They kind of looked at each other like what just happened and they ended up going to review. And what they found was that his knee was down with eight seconds left. USF had no timeouts to stop the clock and they announced that the clock would have run out. So the game was over. USF fans were very upset because they thought that UCF should have gotten a delay of game for not getting the ball back to the ref quickly enough to set it up. They thought they could get another playoff. Mm-hmm. I fundamentally disagree. You did not have enough time to get another playoff between getting your quarterback off the ground and lining up. You just didn't. And on top of that, it's not delay of game. If you legitimately think it's an interception, you're running back. You know, if they yeah. had taken it out of his hand and run away with the ball, that's one thing. But mm-hmm. this was 
you know, it wasn't intentional. There wasn't like a player laying on top of another player. So they couldn't get up and, you know, run to set to line up. Uh, I thought the reps ultimately got right, but it took them way too long to get to that spot because they really should have been good about marking it as a sack right away. Right. Uh, a lot of people upset about USF fans thought they deserved a second shot at that final play, but they didn't stop taking sacks. You know, that was McLean's huge issues. We're keen through the ball away too much and didn't try to do enough with it. I thought mm-hmm. McLean was way too willing to run in circles and just w- and eventually get sacked instead of throwing it away at times. So yeah. opposite issues, meet in the middle. Uh, <laughs> two really big UCF storylines that I think also should be addressed really quickly. Uh, yeah. The first and frankly more important was Otis Anderson Jr. who played at UCF from mm-hmm. 2017 uh, through 2020. Uh, was shot and killed on Monday night in news broke Tuesday morning by his own father yeah, uh, in I Jacksonville. Yeah. His mother was also shot in the incident and it's just really terrible because has there been any resolution on that? Like his, as far his as... father was arrested. Right. And, but, but they haven't talked about what, like what there was an under- argument or by my understanding, on? according to a news article I read, there was an argument that started over uh, a dog. Oh, Something no. dog had been doing a pet uh oh boy you know people who obviously we tend to remember athletes for what they did on the field court whatever Mm -hmm. sport they played but people are more than that and i think it's worth remembering how genuinely good a person he was and how much he loved everyone around him and it's just a really sad story and i'm not the right person to talk about because i didn't know him personally but it just sucks. I'm sure people who, well, I've already seen a few posts from people that played with him and knew him. So um, it's nice to, it, it's awful, but it's nice to see people that knew him coming forward and sharing those stories. So that, mm-hmm. that has been nice to read, but it's just truly awful what yeah. people will do in this world right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other thing, and you know, this is definitely more lighthearted. I'm not going to yeah, that's okay. But Dylan we Gabriel, need something. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel's transferring out of UCF. <laughs> uh, this is... I saw that and I was like, Dan's going to lose his shit. I'm okay. I'm okay. Are, are you? No, the, fact that you have, the fact that you have to like say that you're okay. I'm fine. Please okay. don't print in the papers that I was mad. I'm not mad. No, I'm not saying that you're mad, but I was like, <laughs> I, I just meant that like, what a mind blowing thing to happen after like here you are the whole yeah. time talking about him coming back being ready like yeah. when he comes back and then boom to be honest, the week leading into it there had started to be rumors that it was going to happen uh and i don't entirely blame gabriel you know here's what i'll say i, I every transfer is different that's something i've preached on the show since i've been on it every player transfers for different reasons there's a million reasons to transfer from a program and you can't First off, stop yelling at players who transfer online. There was disgusting comments yeah. from UCF fans yeah. after he had posted. Like, you know, I part of what bothers me is I was a transfer student when I was in school. I went to UCF as a freshman. I love UCF. I still do. I clearly do. But I wasn't ready to be that far from home. You know, I'm from Massachusetts originally. I was 18 years old and I needed to get back to a support system. So I ended up at UMass. So for those who don't know, that's why I root for both those two teams. I care about both schools a lot. I care about both programs a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like people transfer for a million different reasons. It doesn't mean that they're giving up on something. It doesn't mean that they're quitting and it doesn't give you the right as someone outside of the situation to go, 
you know, to just insult someone over it. Uh, you know, in this case, Dylan Gabriel committed to play for Josh Heupel as a head coach. Josh Heupel is no longer the head coach. We can relatively safely presume that he just didn't feel like he was a fitting Gus Malzahn system and had time to reflect with his injury that maybe this isn't the, you know, maybe I need to go somewhere where I'm a better fit. That's complete speculation on my part, but you know, I I'd expect him to either frankly end up at Tennessee or Ole Miss next year because Ole Miss is where Jeff Levy is original offensive coordinator is now the OC, but who knows, you know, he could, who knows, he could have been homesick and wants to go play for Hawaii. We don't know his, you know, where no one's in his mind and uh, it stinks. The transfer portal is going to be used this way a lot by every team. Uh, I fully expect UCF to go get a quarterback in the transfer portal, frankly. A lot of people are going to be utilizing that transfer portal. <laughs> it's going to be yeah. it, people, people who hate the transfer portal and not going to like this next year, but I think it's the best invention ever because what people don't realize is sometimes how shitty things are inside a program that we don't know about, whether it's coaches telling you you're going to play and then you don't, or they're treating you poorly. Like we saw at temple with the stuff that was going on with the guy who posted about it. We don't know those things. So this gives Mm -hmm. players a chance to take their future into their own hands, which I appreciate. So, and like I said, I was a regular student. I didn't have to sit out a year to go to my next college when I transferred. Like it just, you don't have to do that. I was a regular student. Why should student athletes be punished in any way, shape or form and be restricted to where they can transfer, be restricted and how quickly they can. It's just what's fair to them. You know I mean? Look again, I'll bring it back to Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly is leaving Notre Dame with less than like 24 hours notice to go to LSU. Yeah. You're telling me that players can't do the same. You know right. what I mean? Then that, that's ridiculous to say they can't. You, you know. But anyways, uh, moving on. Cincinnati thirty-five, yeah. ECU thirteen. That was the game going head to head with uh, the Warren I four. Uh, while we so while the UCF USF game was closer than we thought, this was further in yeah, score than for, I thought it would be. For about, for about a quarter, this was pretty close. But ECU, yeah, uh, just really couldn't keep up with Cincinnati. Once the Bearcats started to flex, uh, Alec Pierce had a really good game. Every time Alec Pierce has a good game, Desmond Ritter gets credited with a good game. <laughs> I know, right? Well, the, their defensive player, Bob Gardner, who I know you yeah. love, he's a, uh, he's a first the sauce, right? He was player of the week for the AAC. Um, and he had a crazy game that limited ECU to a season low 13 points for them, which is which is low. And I did think it was going to be more. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was going to be close to like, yeah, like 27, yeah, 21, something like, like at that. least three scores, something like that. But Gardner finished with a season high, eight tackles uh, to go with two pass breakups. And he added a 60 yard touchdown on a blocked field goal, which we love to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I love any sort of blocked field. I love any special teams like shenanigans that go on. So that. Absolutely. That was- yeah. And uh, I'm going to take it to the playoff really, really quickly. This is, you know, we'll talk about this more once we know more, but at this point, Cincinnati is going to make the playoff unless Oklahoma state beats Baylor and then gets, and Alabama beats Georgia. I think they need those two things to happen to not make the playoff is Oklahoma state beating Baylor. will give them a win that could potentially have the company go, Oh, well, now that we've got more information, we're going to jump them. And if Alabama beats Georgia, both those teams make it. So it takes up a spot, but if Georgia beats Alabama, a two-loss non-conference champion cannot possibly make the playoff. I can't imagine that happening. Uh, so they need to, you know, 
I guess root for Georgia and root for Baylor if you're Cincinnati and try to make sure that no one jumps you. But it looks very realistic that they can make the playoff, assuming they beat Houston next week. ECU, for their part, headed to the military bowl. Really, really good season for them. Could have been better with a couple close losses, but really, really good season to build on. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Those were the Friday night games. Absolutely. We'll move over to Saturday now. Houston 45, UConn was at 17. Uh, yeah. I don't know I'm why. I'm surprised Houston... UConn got 17 points, but I yeah. didn't see the whole game. So I only saw part of it, to be honest, because okay. why would you pay that much attention? Uh, right. I'm not sure why Houston scheduled a game in Connecticut at the end of November because, you know, cold. It was yeah. cold for this game. And a little early in the game, it looked like Houston was like, yeah, we're cold out here right now. And they obviously blew them out eventually, but. You know, I, a little silly to go up to UConn in November. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a UConn was a dead team walking. You know, there, there's nothing to say about what happened on the field that is even mildly interesting or surprising. Frankly. Yeah. Uh, you know, Houston has a chance in the AAC championship game if they win to not only win the conference, which is major, and we need to, you know, normalize that being your end goal for every season as a program because that's what's in your control. But also, if they beat Cincinnati, they will likely be in the New Year's Six, playing in like the Peach Bowl or something like that. Right. Or, you know, because I think it's San Diego State from the Mountain West who's still ranked right around them. But San Diego State doesn't have the opportunity to get a top four win in the conference championship game. Houston does. Yeah. And that would 100% propel them to that role. UTSA lost to North Texas last week. They're not going to be making the New Year's Six. So, a lot on the line next week for Houston. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you have anything to add to that? <laughs> I yeah, Clay- Clayton Toon winning honor roll honors in the AAC this week, 21 of 30 uh, for 301 yards and four touchdowns with only one interception. You would love to see there be no interceptions, but still a pretty good day. Cool. Uh, because when you look at his numbers back-to-back with Ritter's, Ritter was 17 of 28 for also for 301 yards, but only two touchdowns and two interceptions. So it's crazy because Ritter's the American's career leader in total offense with 12,071 yards and 114 touchdown responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Ritter's also but been a four-year starter though. It's true. And you look at clean tune and you're like, okay, I see a little bit, a lot of the same, but a little bit more accountability and, um, and with the ball. So I, I don't know. I, I obviously Ritter's good, but tune I think is better than people give him credit for Toon had a pretty big turnover issue early in his time at Houston, and he was also replacing Derek King when he first got the job. Uh, so he was directly compared to King, who is an insane athlete a lot. I think all that's really affected how we view Toon, but he's been excellent this year. Yeah. You know, absolutely excellent this year. Uh, yeah, I, I think that AAC championship game, we'll talk about it more in the next show, which hopefully recording tomorrow, depending on how many coaching things change. In the next two yeah. Minutes. Right. <laughs> uh, but I think Houston's got a real chance against Cincinnati. Yeah, I'm just, I do. you know, but we shall see uh, Navy 38 temple 14. Love to see Navy get a big win with two weeks off now before the army Navy game, which is obviously the most important game on their schedule. Uh, and we are go- I'm going to it. I'm so excited for the army Navy game. At MetLife. So I made plans to be in New York during that weekend, but it's mostly to drink with friends. 
Oh, well, you know, the Heisman's that weekend as well. So I I'll do. be there in full force, but yeah, wow, we we're going to be in the same place. Yeah. My buddy lives in North from UMass lives in Northern New Jersey. So we'll see. Okay. <laughs> we'll see what happens. That's awesome. I'm excited because they revealed the uniforms they're going to wear I saw uh, those, yesterday. Yeah. Oh my God. About the coolest, you know, like I might try and steal a helmet. Those are insane. I still, the blue angels ones are still my favorite from Navy. Those are, of course, you could, it's hard to trump the Blue Angels, but these ones this year and the whole video, I mean, everything was just yeah. shout out to that Navy. Was that was badass. So. Yeah, it was great. Absolutely. But anyways, about this Temple game. <laughs> hey, Temple scored in the first half. <laughs> they scored. I think I texted you that they scored in the second. I tweeted it. I'm pretty sure I was like, Temple scored in the second quarter. It was bad. It was like really, yeah. really bad how long it it was Rod Carey fired after this? I can't remember. I think they gave him a 24-hour, okay. but I'm not 100% certain on that because I was, like I said, I got really Either caught way, up in gone. other firings because of it. Yeah. I know um, the Rod Carey thing kind of fell under the radar, but that's huge. He wasn't even there that long. There's so many issues, years. what's going on, you know, within the program and his treatment of players, and then we see him fired. So there, my, my, my feeling on that is there must be some truth to these things that we saw the players saying for them to actually go ahead and fire him. Like they, they probably There's, did an internal review and, and stop. so that's crazy. I, yeah, I've been highly, highly critical of both Rod Carey and the contract Temple gave him to start his time there in the past year or so. Uh, that's really when I paid most attention to it. Uh, Rod Carey got the Northern Illinois job taken over for Dave Doran, who built an Orange Bowl level program there, and he kind of slipped back to a consistent seven and five, eight and four, which is often good enough to win the MAC. In all fairness to that, but mm-hmm. he didn't take it to the next level. He kind of regressed. Is my point. Uh, <clears throat> he got the Temple job when Manny Diaz went there for like seventeen days, left and was gone. And Temple said, "We've had our last." Five was it head coaches leave for new jobs? It was Manny Diaz, it was Jeff Collins, it was Matt Rule, it was Steve Adazio, it was Al Golden. They all keep using us as a stepping stone. We don't want to be a stepping stone. We want someone who's going to be here for an extended period of time. And they made his buyout $10 million for the first two years mm-hmm. and then $8 million for the third year, which is as far as we got. Right. That's insanely high for a G5 job. That's what, you know, the UCF extension to Josh Heupel after he went undefeated in his first year was. And his went down much quicker than Carey's did after that. That's not, you know, if some team does want to buy you, that's really good money to land because think of it this way. The AAC right now before realignment strikes is making about $7 million in their media deal. You know what I mean? So like you're paying more than your annual media revenue in a buyout, you know, that that's a lot of money. Temple really doesn't have that much money lying around extra the way some programs do. They, yeah. you know, their facilities are behind. A lot of things are behind because they don't have the money to build it. And they don't have a lot of, frankly, they don't have a lot of donors who are willing to give them the money to build it the way say a UCF or a Memphis has had really good luck with, you know, having involved boosters that are interested in building facilities. <laughs> That made this firing incredibly, incredibly expensive for them. It also made it incredibly necessary because this was a team, you know, that shows you how necessary it was, I should say, is this was a team that throughout conference play had quit. They weren't trying. They were just trying to get the season over for like the last two months of the season. Uh, From what we've heard, it sounds like he and, 
I don't want to speak too out of turn here, but I believe it was the strength and conditioning coach were out of line in how they were treating players and even other members of the staff at times. Mm -hmm. And it was just a culture no one wanted to be a part of. I mean, their starting quarterback transferred mid-season. I know Dylan Gabriel transferred from UCF, but at least he was on the bench with an injury and there was a coaching change. Mathis committed to play for him and didn't last a year before he was like, no, I need to go somewhere else. (laughs) You know, like it it was a really, really bad bad. It was yeah. a bad cultural situation. It was a bad on-field uh, situation, which is happens when there's a bad culture. And mm-hmm. it costs a whole lot of money for Temple to get rid of it, which, again, I, I don't know who their next coach is going to be, to be honest with you. They're going yeah. to look for someone with Pennsylvania ties. They're going to look for someone who has recruited Philadelphia, probably the, D, uh, the DMV before. But, Yeah. It, it's tough. That, that's a really tough situation they're in. That being said, Navy, you know, doing what they needed to do, taking care of business. Chance Warren, senior running back, getting honor roll honors from the AAC, 105 all-purpose yards, mm-hmm. two touchdown catches, and three catches for 43 mm-hmm. yards, um, as well as three punt, punt returns for 62 yards. So mm-hmm. really just kind of doing it all out there for, for Navy. I wish I had looked up his, I think he's a, he's a senior. So mm. I know his assignment. I had it somewhere. Yeah. I saw that list too. I never, I think seen. it's really cool getting to see kind of where they're all going. So I'll have to look that up for next time, but yeah, you're going to the army Navy game. So you better have that list. I will. I got to have a cheat teams. sheet going on. Both Ask them some questions. Yeah. I'm always curious how the guys find themselves in those specific areas because and, I had a guy sometimes requested. I think they, they do. Yeah. I had a guy. I had a fullback, Connor Slomka, uh, from two years ago, come on my podcast and talk about it. And and what's interesting is about these guys is a lot of people think they're going to go straight into their service, but they're actually given, uh, I don't know, it's not a pardon, but they're given like time to go to the NFL if they so choose, and then they can uh, take their yeah. service up after. Uh, so some people were like, oh, he's not going to be draftable because he has to go to service. And I was like, no, that, that's not that's an old works. Yeah, that's an old school. Yeah. Uh, Keenan Reynolds yeah. is currently in the NFL, and he'll do a service once he's done there. Uh the Patriots long snapper, his name is Joe. It's an Italian last name, I think. Carver, a, Carver, Carbonara, like yeah. Carbonara, something you, like you, that. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I'm I do, sure actually. Everyone else knows who I'm talking about, obviously, because it's the Patriots long snapper, and we all pay. I don't know, think anybody else is. Keen attention know, but, to it. But no, but he fine. got when he got this opportunity where, with the Patriots where he does like a partial service because he lives in Rhode Island. So there's a Naval base not far. Yeah. There you go. Can play the Navy did the steal from where he like be in the Navy and play for the Patriots at the same time. I think he just has to do a longer service, you know, but I'm not, yeah, I, I'm not that was I'm a few years sure. ago that that first happened. If people are going to be interested in looking that kind of thing up, but yeah, just because you went to Navy doesn't mean you have to do like the Roger Staubach, go to Vietnam right. first, then come back. Right. You know, uh, anyways, yeah, I'm really right. happy. I am, I am happy for Navy to get this one because yes. they deserved it. They've been getting a lot better, even though the wins weren't there. Uh, yes. This next Two game, more games. Who are you going to go with? This next game. So there's two ways to go here. I don't remember if they kicked off at the same time or not. I usually go in the order FBS schedules gave me. Mm-hmm. I kind the. One game is incredibly interesting for a lot of reasons. The other game is mildly interesting. What should I do? I'm just going to go out. Let's, of uh, let's end with my 
No, let's start with no. Let's start with Memphis. I got to get it okay, out yeah. of the way here. That's the one that I was gonna say. Memphis and, was the most impressive win across. I that was the, a really good game. Yeah, really across the board, people were. I mean, it was so impressive that Hennigan gets Offensive Player of the Week, and David Kemp, the freshman kicker, gets Special Teams Player of the Week. I don't. It was heartbreaking for me. It was heartbreaking. Really, yeah, Tulane twenty-eight, Memphis thirty-three. It was tough. Uh, he, this was kind of a very good back and forth game where I looked for a long time like Tulane was going to stay a score ahead of Memphis. You know, I don't know if you got the feeling, but I got that feeling. And then after a Memphis score, Tulane fumbled the ensuing kickoff return, and Memphis scored quickly. And after that, the roles flipped, and Tulane fell a little bit short. And uh, with the win, Memphis got bowl eligible. They're going to the Hawaii Bowl. So, you know, yeah, that's exciting. Love is. to see uh, Mike Mike uh, McIntyre Mac- in a Hawaiian shirt. Love I heard, it. Actually, I heard Mike McIntyre's name for Akron. Really interesting. As a, as a rumor, as a guy who would make okay. sense, I, sh- I should. He be does. Very clear. I, I will the guy say, who like, would make sense is Mike McIntyre. Not he a. He does uh, like head coaching. It is. It is. And he he is a good leader. So I I could see him, you know, wanting to return to that as is not. And not being a coordinator forever. Like he does, he's passionate about yeah. head coaching. So and again, I should emphasize I didn't hear that from like okay. source. Yeah. I think I heard that as a uh someone that people just were being thrown out there. Yeah. yeah, totally. Just because I know we're in that silly season where no one knows if you're just saying, Hey, this guy makes sense, or hey, this guy's being yeah. interviewed. You know, there's a yeah, there's a difference. Um, Seth Hennigan, freshman quarterback for Memphis, completed 27 of 42 passes. That's a lot of passes uh, for 336 yards, three touchdowns. He turned in his sixth 300 yard game of the season and became the first Memphis freshman to surpass 3000 passing yards in a season. He had 3,322. He finished the regular season ranked second in the American with 302 passing yards per game. Can you even imagine averaging 300 passing yards per game? That's fun. No. So this year for Memphis was incredibly disappointing on the whole. I think six and six is not where they see themselves as a program. They see themselves as a program competing to win the conference every year. Maybe I think they can accept where we won't be in the conference championship game every year, but they expect to be at like nine and three ish every year where they, you know, a couple results go their way and they're right there in it. They don't expect to be six and six. They don't expect to be in a very close game with a two win two lane team fighting for bowl eligibility. Um, you know, that's just the reality of who they see as who they see in themselves as a program. And that's, you know, that's fair. In all honesty, that's fair. Yeah. That's how they feel about themselves because they've been there under the last two coaches, more or less, you know, Seth Hennigan was a huge bright spot though. And I think that it can't be impressive enough that he's only a freshman and that Memphis fans should be very excited about him. Yes. There are questions about, you know, the running game disappearing, you can say there's questions about the defense, but the defense is the same as it's been for years there. Yeah. You know, they let, they let a lot of big plays. Well, one thing that went well was special teams. David Kemp, freshman kicker, scored a career high nine points for the Tigers, connecting on field goals of 27 and 40 yards in their win. His two field goals came in the third quarter, breaking a 14-14 tie, while the 40-yarder was a career long for Kemp. So shout out. Oh, freshman kickers everywhere. And Tulane ran the damn ball on them. They did. Five, yeah. 30 carries, 264 yards, 8.8 yards mm-hmm. a carry and two touchdowns. He Michael finished Pratt fourth on Tulane's single game rushing chart. He had a heck of a game. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
He's incredible. I can't yeah, wait is. to watch his career, but whether he stays or goes, I, 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 I hope I hope he stays. Anyway, I hope he stays too. But all right, let's move on to our final game of the week, which yes. is Tulsa thirty-four, SMU thirty-one. <laughs> Who would have thought? Jeff Kiss, Sunny Dyke's last game as an SMU Mustang. He is getting booed from the word go. There's fans with yeah. signs like it's a WWE wrestling event. Oh, and yeah. Then they go ahead and blow a 17 point lead to Tulsa. And Tulsa gets to be bowl eligible because of it. And SMU falls to eight and four in the season in a really, in an effort that really said, hey, our head coach is leaving us for our biggest rival and we're mad about it and we don't know what to do. Yeah. And, you know, our heads aren't quite in the game. And wild. Yeah. Wild, wild, So West. much fun if you're just like a neutral spectator on it uh, because. Sonny Dykes took the TCU job, even though he had like a $4 million a year contract extension with SMU in front of him. This I TCU never offered, thought. This TCU offered what I saw so far as described as a, like much larger contract than that. It's Basically insane. the money couldn't be touched. He probably sees as I'm living in the same area. He probably doesn't even have to move and he's going to be in the big 12. Now it for Sonny Dykes, it is it's big 12. It's probably going to be more money. It is going to be more money on his contract. The resources are going to be a little bit better because, yes, it's Big 12. More prestige because of that. Unfortunately for SMU fans, all those things are true. You just never think that your coach goes to your arch rival like that. Yeah, it's like, wild. It's like when I, I'm not surprised Sandy Dykes has no loyalty at all. I saw no, that when he left Cal, like he made no, a mistake. A, He's a mercenary. A lot of college coaches are mercenaries. They do what's best for them. You know, but there are some that are not. So I just. Well, yeah. Like I don't think of Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern as a mercenary. I think he's a Northwestern lifer. Kirk uh, Ferentz at Iowa. But I didn't think of Brian Kelly as a mercenary, even though he had gone from Grand Valley State to Central Michigan to Cincinnati to Notre Dame. I saw him as a ladder climber. You know what I mean? Kyle Whittingham at Utah. But I could name a bunch of them that, that are going to. There's a lot of them like who are very happy with where they're at. Certainly. Uh, and they created their own happiness. I'd like that to be on the record. It's not that they walked into a situation that was good or bad or whatever. They created their own happiness. So these coaches, they have the ability to do that, but some would rather just play the game and climb the ladder and, and find happiness as opposed to creating it, which is the big problem. And, and it's harder to find coaches who at G5 schools who want to stay and build it. That's, you know, I'll stick with T. That's why I love Mike Houston. You yeah. know, he builds programs and he leaves them better than he found them. And then he moves forward. If you look at like, I don't think SMU fans will like this example, but Gary Patterson at TCU, he was there for two decades and he yeah. took them from a conference USA school to a big 12 school. He built that program up, which is why it was so shocking when they fired him. Mm-hmm. You know? But it was a little surprising at the time or that like it happened. parted ways. Yeah. I don't know. It, he, they fired him. Yeah. They were like, get out. It, it was, it was, Hey, this is your last <laughs> yeah. year. Right. And he's like, what are you talking about? And they go, this is your last year. And he goes, what are you oh, talking about? You're fired. This is your last year. <laughs> Goodbye. Please, How about Tulsa though? Tulsa yeah. hanging on to play I, a game that I did not think they would win. So if you told me at midway through the season that Tulsa would get bulged, I would have laughed at you. Yeah. Because they look terrible. I think we did laugh season. about that for a while. So and, you know, I you know more power to them. They really came around. I'm still not sure what I think of them as a team. I think I this sums it up, Brady. The the ESPN title for the recap of this game mm-hmm. reads like this. Tulsa holds off SMU 34-31 after climbing out of deep hole. 
Is there a more appropriate title for that's a for long adults? title? I don't know it how this works on an SEO thing. <laughs> it's terrible. It's a terrible yeah. title, but it is so apt for Tulsa no. that I can't even like. I'm okay with it because it's it, like, they I, climbed out of a deep hole that started back with UC Davis. Yeah, Tulsa's good. Yeah, Tulsa's pretty good in the trenches. Uh, depending on the game, they've got a pretty good running game. They're not a consistent team all the way through, and they haven't been consistent through the season. But hey. Six and six, it's it's not making the conference championship game, but hey, it's a lot better than you look like you were going to do early in this year. That's something to be said for. Uh, going back to the SMU head coaching thing, because we already know who their next head coach is. It's Rhett Lashley. The uh, mm-hmm. His most recent job was as the Miami offensive coordinator. I think it's a really good hire, frankly. I, I don't think we should be in the business of grading hires before mm-hmm. they get on campus because, well, anything can happen. You know what I mean? Like, Yep. What would you have graded, say, I don't know, what would you grade Lane Kiffin to USC as a hire? A lot of people thought it was a really good hire, and it was a terrible hire. You know what I mean? I mean, but I think it's because we didn't at that point really know who Lane Kiffin was. Yeah, as far I mean, as now, we, he's revealed more of his character, in that, my that opinion. Was, I guess a quick example, but like Dan Mullen to Florida. Like, what would you it's, grade it seemed, the hire? Yeah, when it he got there, fine. It, it was, well, when, you got, when he got there, people said, oh, well, he won at Mississippi State better than they ever mm-hmm. really had any right to be good. He has experience in Florida. That makes perfect sense. And he got there and you'd say, well, there was good things, but there's also bad things. And it ended really badly. He never so, really struck me as a Florida guy, though. Like, no, he's a New Hampshire guy. Right. And so I was just like, I don't know how this is going to go. No, over, he, We'll I, I, this is it's diverging but no dan mullen doesn't have that recruiting like urge to he's not like charismatic he's not like uh like no. manny diaz he's unlikable it, right manny diaz is like a florida guy like he's young he's hip he's smoking cigars in the locker room with the players like yeah it's not a great example because miami's not panning out right now but when they were doing well i was like oh yeah manny diaz is that guy like Lane given yeah. at fau made sense to me yeah. you know Scott Frost and Josh Heupel at UCF both fit that bill as well. Jeff mm-hmm. Scott at USF fits that bill. Scott Frost at Nebraska, though, is Again, like... you would have said that was a perfect hire when he got hired. I, Most people Yeah, would but he's turned into this, like, anti-version of himself. You ever see the show The Outsider on HBO? No. My sister and I were talking about this in the car the other day. It's a really gnarly show if you, like weird shows like that but it's about this creature that like becomes people and that's what i feel like scott frost is the outsider version of himself <laughs> at nebraska he's not the same guy that we saw at ucf like not even personality wise well, like he's he looks, losing a lot at you at uh, nebraska he's very stressed yeah, well, I instead of trying to figure it out he's curling in on himself so well, it's not i mean not not to diver, divulge too far into what's wrong with scott frost at nebraska <laughs> but adrian martinez was never the guy and like he, he tried really hard and was way too loyal to adrian martinez for years he yeah. didn't hit the transfer portal when he needed to i think he probably at the time he was praised for taking all his UCF assistance to Nebraska, that was probably a mistake in hindsight. Mm-hmm. He probably yeah. needed to get guys with Big Ten experience more so than what UCF assistants had. Probably yeah. needed guys who, you know, could recruit Texas better than what those assistants had. Uh, yep. And, you know, he needs to get more aggressive at the end of games and not turtle up because he's been doing that a lot too and stop losing one score games. Anyways, yep. uh, There's a- <laughs> I really like the Red Lashley hire, even though nice. we shouldn't be grading it. He has experience at SMU. I know what I just said about Dan Mullen. Uh, he was just at Miami and he made their offense really fun, even if they weren't always winning games, mm-hmm. but he made their offense really work well. He wasn't the issue there. Uh, 
he is a Gus Malzahn disciple as well. Like if you look at his history, like he was on Gus Malzahn's high school coaching staff at one point. He was on his Arkansas staff. He was on his Auburn staff. He was on his Arkansas state staff. Like basically up until 2016, he was with Gus Malzahn everywhere. The two went, including as his offense coordinator. I think that type of way of running a program with a lot of recruiting driven focus, a lot of willingness to say, Hey, defense matters a lot too. Even though I'm an offensive guy, we need to put a lot of emphasis on defense. Those are things I fully expect to have rubbed off on him over that time. I think it'll be a good hire, but you know, like I said, we never know until we get a couple years into it. You know, this, true. so we'll see. All right. I'm going to give you last looks now because the time is winding down. What, yes. what do you want to leave your note on the podcast? I have something I'm going to say, but you, mm-hmm. what do you, what was your last look here? God. Are we just talking like AAC on the season or just like anything I mean, going on right now? Yeah. Whatever, you know, I mean, say it, say it with your chest. Okay. So, the AAC was down this year. It wasn't mm. as good. a lot of that had to do with injuries. A lot of that had to do with our perceptions of teams not fitting. If, you know, UCF was 11 and one headed to the conference championship game instead mm-hmm. of Houston, people wouldn't be saying that UCF would also be ranked in the top 10. That's do you think when UCF is good that the conference it's better. For, like people say when you USC is good, it's better for the yeah. PAC 12 because it's, do you think yeah. when UCF is good, it's better for yeah. the conference? UCF is, and no one wants to hear this, the most important team at least to the national media in the american athletic conference because they're the ones who made the big stink they're the ones who won the they fiesta created bowl that in, for in the very first yeah yeah in the very first year the conference existed they went and won the fiesta bowl as 15 point underdogs mm-hmm. then they went and won the peach bowl in 2017 with an undefeated season and said look at us you have to look at us and they did that for right. years you know luke fickle and since i have done the opposite thing they've said no we're just gonna keep winning and you'll respect us if we keep winning which is the more traditional approach but right the fact is that a school like Houston doesn't get looked at twice, even though they're a historic power and they've got money and they've got what is a well-respected head coach in Dana Holgerson because, you know, they just hadn't been doing it consistently enough and they hadn't made, you know, UCF started this year with, you know, I think they're receiving votes to start the year, even though they were coming off a six and four year and their head coach had left and they had a complete, you know what I mean? And they had a lot of turnover at the skill positions. And it's because of that stuff, you know, People want USC to be good in the Pac-12. People nationally want to look at the American and see, oh, UCF's good and exciting the way they were when Frost was there for that 2017 run. That's a fact. And, you know, I also think it needs to be looked at like, hey, that team that people look to the conference for is leaving. And so are the two teams in the championship game in just basically one more year. The conference needs to find its teams to replace them as its identity because right now its identity schools are leaving. And that's going to yeah. be an issue going forward down the line. I think that UTSA, UAB, potentially FAU have the chance to really fill some of that void, but it's going to be a void. SMU, Memphis, especially those two schools need to step up. I think ECU could do well to step up into that role as well, because they've got a fantastic fan base yeah. uh, and a beautiful stadium for that matter. Right. I'd also like to point out that Brian Kelly leaving LSU affects Cincinnati. Because Brian Kelly Kelly going to LSU does because there are two candidates on Notre Dame's list, essentially. Now, there's Mm -hmm. other guys who are going to be considered because that's just how these things work. But it's either going to be an internal promotion of Marcus Freeman, head coach, which he's meeting with Jack Swarbrick today, just as a heads up to those wondering before or a little bit after we record. 
And the other option is Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. Now, Luke mm. Fickle, we all know loves Cincinnati, and he would probably not leave from just any job. Mm-hmm. However, it's also been widely reported that two jobs qualify as not just any job to Luke Fickle. The first is Ohio State. We all know that. The second is Notre Dame. Right. So he, from my understanding, would leave Cincinnati if Notre Dame came calling. <clears throat> and Notre Dame could well be coming calling. And if Luke Fickle leaves for Notre Dame, Cincinnati could be going to the playoff without a head coach. Right. And frankly, the they could be going to the playoff to play Notre Dame at this point with Luke Fickle technically coaching both teams as he does it. That's a possibility that we're looking at right now as I, as I speak on Wednesday, uh, December 1st, that's still a possibility. (laughs) Yes, it Uh, is. On top of that, if Fickle were to take the Notre Dame job or sorry, yeah, Fickle were to take Notre Dame job, you'd have to assume that the number one candidate for Cincinnati would be Marcus Freeman, the Mm -hmm. Notre Dame defense coordinator. So there's going to be a lot of, I think, shuffling between the two. I also, but I tend to think, to be honest with you, that Marcus Freeman's going to get the internal promotion anyway, so that may not matter at all. There's a huge player push for Marcus Freeman to stay at Notre Dame as the head coach. Luke Fickle could also convince Freeman to stay at Notre Dame as the defense coordinator if he goes, because those two are like very close. Uh, that affects everything. Mm-hmm. I'm just... I'm tired. I'm stressed with this coaching cycle. There's yeah, gonna be a, it's a lot. And stop tweeting at players when they transfer. Just stop yeah. doing it. If it's not supportive, <laughs> just stop. That's what I have to say. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I don't even know if I should add anything to that because I was... Go for it. Comprehensive. My only last look was I'm trying to figure out if I should cover the Bahamas Bowl or not. So I need yes. people to weigh in. The answer is always yes. I don't know, I though. also it's... cover the Hawaii Bowl, too. Like I was thinking about... I don't I know mean, that I can... I don't I'm, know. Right That's now, a lot. Right now I'm planning on being at the Fenway Bowl. And it's probably going to be like 20 degrees out. And they're probably going to leave the window open. The Listen, this is the thing is like, I've been wanting to, I've never been to the Bahamas. I've been wanting to go forever. I talked with our um, Charlotte beat writer, uh, Hunter Bailey about it. Yeah. Cause he went before and, you know, he said it was awesome. So there's a lot of pros. I know middle Tennessee very well, their program. So it'd be cool to see that, but there's also cons, you know, it's, it's, it takes a it's minute to get out travel. there. It's, yeah. It's like a trip, you know, you got to do it. I'll be at the Heisman, like I'll already be in New York. So then do I fly home and then go back to the Bahamas? Do I stay in New York and go from there to Miami to the Bahamas? That becomes like a two week trip. It's a lot. Bowl season is crazy. So, but I'm trying, yeah. I need help to be swayed. So I wanted, you know, people that listen to the podcast, all like three of you to please tweet, <laughs> tweet at me and let me know why I should go or not go to the Bahamas bowl. Cause I need some help. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think you How should, but that's because the Bahamas are the Bahamas. I know. And I've been wanting to swim with the pigs. That's been on my bucket list for a long time. And go to Atlanta. Pigs? Yeah. Okay. There, there's a there's a place there's a place out god watch a instagram video dan there's a place I out deleted the instagram off my phone i don't well, ever use it go watch the fire festival documentary they, they oh i've seen that yeah. yeah so there's an island out there you can go to where you can swim with these they're swimming pigs they're indigenous to the island and they're going to shut it down pretty soon because people like people are terrible just like they're ruining the coral reef and uh, yeah. i mean the great barrier reef in australia like everything Sounds about so, right I want to go out and do it before it's closing. It's been a dream of mine. So it's like, this is the perfect opportunity because I would be there for covering football and I get to do some of that. So we'll see. I'm leaning towards it, but I need that final push. So please 
fans of the podcast, please push me in one direction or the other. All right. Absolutely. All, got. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you want more of my nonsense during coaching silly season, you can find me at Dan underscore Morrison 96 on Twitter. You can find me at MLM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M on Twitter and Instagram. All right. And we are off.